encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And while you're turning there, just encouraged by just all the uh, the folks that have helped in uh, making the, today's service possible. I want to thank uh, Brother John Sagru for all he's doing. I know he's not here right now, but helps with uh, our 815 uh, service with the music. Brother Scarpetti uh, consistently helping us uh, on the evenings, uh, Sunday evenings, and even this morning, and uh, my wife and all those others that have been working diligently with our pianos and specials and all those things. just want to thank uh, all of them for that. As you're looking at Matthew chapter 9, I want us to uh, just look at the latter end of the chapter. And uh, over the next few moments, we're really going to be diving into a full day of ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Matthew 9 records a very busy day of our Savior. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36 is where we begin. And once you found that, if you would, please stand to your feet. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36 We'll be reading all the way down to verse number 38. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Can we read that last verse together? Ready, begin. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us pray this morning. Lord, we do thank you for the power that you possess. And Lord, there are many powerful elements that we see around us. We see uh, dynamite. We see the power of, uh, of uh, just people that are able to speak and influence. We see uh, power of, of machine and, and different elements today. But all of them pale in comparison to the, the power that you possess. And Lord, while uh, dynamite may be able to blow up rock and, and, uh, and, and change a structure and, and uh, knock down even the, the largest of buildings, Lord, Your power can change even the hardest heart this morning. Your power can change lives of folks that uh, are destined uh, to eternity in one place and by Your power change them to a whole other direction. Lord, I know that as I look out today, Your power has impacted uh, the many that are gathered here this morning. I thank You for how Your power has helped to change and shape me in my life. And, and Lord, I know that I wouldn't be uh, the same without You. And so, Lord, today, I pray that the power of Your Word will speak to all of us today. And Lord, that You will uh, give me the power that is on high to, to be able to proclaim that which You'd have for us this morning. And uh, Lord, give me the right words to say over these next few moments. I pray that You guide my lips. Help me to say only the things You had me to say. And withhold the things that You had me not to say. And uh, Father, I just pray that all of our hearts will be open and receptive to Your Word today. And uh, we ask this in Your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, Sunday church is a great place to assemble, and, and while all of us come here on Sundays and we have different cares and different burdens and, and different struggles that we have faced throughout the work week, we come here on Sunday ready to lay those things aside. And, and for some, perhaps they are so near and dear to us that perhaps we can't even stop but, but think of, uh, about them, and, and we carry those and we minister to folks, and I hope that you come to church every Sunday and you 
receive some kind of encouragement, some kind of exhortation, something that will lift you up to get your batteries recharged, so to speak, so that we can go out and face the world yet again uh, this week. But tonight, uh, this morning rather, as we look at the Scripture, I want us not to be so focused on ourselves and our own burdens, but may we look without the walls of the church building today. May we not just carry our own burdens, but may we look to the harvest field, as Jesus says uh, here in this passage of Scripture, and may we carry a burden for the lost in our world. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13 uh, and 14 says this, we're reminded about uh, the ultimate destination that everybody is going to face. And we see here in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13, says, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go therein, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And look at this phrase here, and few there be that find it. I don't know the exact attendance of this morning's service. I'd uh, gather between all of the different ministries and between the 8.15 and the 10.30 service, we probably have somewhere around uh, 250 folks, uh, children and adults, and all different people that are assembled here today. But that makes up such a small percentage of our global population. Last estimate I, I read was that our world is approximately 7.8 billion people in the world. And I read this passage of Scripture as we just read in Matthew chapter 7, and my heart is burdened because we find that, that there is two gates that ultimately everybody will enter into. We have the gate that is straight, and we have the gate that, that says that uh, leads to uh, destruction. And, and the Bible says that in this gate that leads to destruction, there are, uh, there are many that go into therein. But that straight gate and that narrow gate and that, that way that leads to life, the Bible says, few there be that find it. Can I remind us all today that God has created us to be an eternal soul? We all had a point where we were born. God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And from here on out, we will live and dwell for all of eternity in some place. And ultimately, we know that at some point we are going to pass from this earth, and we are going to go somewhere. I was out uh, yesterday knocking some doors, and I came across a lady and. And uh, we struck up a conversation, and, and I began to ask her, I said, where do you think you're going to go after you die? Because uh, death is inevitable for all, and where are you going to go? And, and she kind of was a little uh, taken back by that, but she says, yeah, I hope that I can go to heaven. I think that's all we can do is just hope that we'll go to heaven. And, and I began to talk to her about the Bible and what she be, uh, believes about the Bible. And I began to think about this today, that all people do is go through life, and we all have that question of where are we going to go one day, but the Bible makes it quite clear that ultimately everybody that spends their life here on earth ultimately are going to spend eternity somewhere. Where will you spend eternity? I hope for the vast majority of us today, I hope for everybody that is in here and everybody around the world that they can truly, confidently, without uh, any shame, say that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm going to heaven when I die. 
But like this lady and many others, we find that many can only hope. They do not know. And unfortunately, while our world says uh, today that there are many ways to get to heaven and there are many paths and all paths ultimately to heaven, the Bible says that there are, uh, uh, there are many that lead to this destructive path. There uh, are, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so it is by what you do with Jesus that ultimately will dictate where you spend eternity. When Jesus came and, and dwelt among us through, uh, he, as, he, as He came and dwelt among us, He brought a whole lot of clarity to what awaits us on the other side of death. Jesus talked openly about heaven and hell. But the reality is that He spoke twice as much of hell as He did heaven. You ever think about that? So we're asking this question this morning, why? Why would Jesus talk more about hell than He would heaven? Because while heaven is a comfort for the saved, hell is a reality for the lost who die in their sins. Likewise, hell is to be a a motivator for the saved to guide people off of the broad way and onto the narrow way. Jesus has commanded those who have salvation and are the disciples of Christ to be the ones that share the gospel message of Jesus and His salvation to those who are lost in their sins. Romans chapter 10, verse number 13 through 15 says this, For whosoever, whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Over the last decade, our culture has seen church attendance on the decline. While our earth's population has drastically grown, Imagine that. Church attendance wanes, yet our population grows, showing us even more that there are more and more people that are on this destructive path, a path that leads ultimately to hell, when we, the people of God, the children of God, have the answer, we have the cure for sin, we have a way in which they can have life, and life more abundantly. If there was a need for laborers during Jesus' day, imagine how much truer that is now. Jesus looked around and He was moved with compassion. How much compassion do you have today? As you go to a grocery store and you see somebody who uh, is all uh, tatted up and is just listening to the most vile secular music and, and has vile things coming out of their mouth, do you look at them in disgust? Or do you look at them through the eyes of Jesus knowing that He died for them? And that He wants fellowship with them. And He wants an eternal home in heaven for them. God has desired for all of us to be proclaimers of the truth this morning. Whether you like it or not, hell is a real place. People who die in their sins go there every day. The volume of people going there today is far greater than than it has ever been. 
Can I remind us, Luke 16 is still in the Bible. Just as Luke 16 is still in the Bible, the rich man that is condemned to hell is still there today. Every time we read this passage of Scripture in Luke 16, we're reminded that the rich man still calls out. The rich man is still in torments. The rich man still thirsts. And that is a place that is timeless. It is a place where he will dwell forever and ever. And every soul will spend eternity somewhere. From Matthew chapter 9, we see how that Jesus came to not only heal the physically wounded, but also the spiritually infirmed. He was met with opposition, yet He was undeterred. There is only one time in the Gospel where Jesus gives a prayer request, and it's found right here in Matthew chapter 9. Then said He unto His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, pray, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. I talk to folks all the time, especially our teenagers, and, and I hear this question brought up from time to time. They ask, what is the will of God for my life? Or what is it that God expects from me? The answer, that this, the answer to that question this morning is simple. Jesus wants you to pray that more laborers would go out into the fields and reap a harvest of lost people heading to hell and a harvest for them to go to heaven. So this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9 as it records for us a day in the life of Jesus Christ. Let's turn our attention to three truths found in Matthew 9 as we consider Christ's calling to pray for more laborers. First point I want us to see this morning is the compassion Jesus felt. If you're in Matthew chapter 9, I invite you again to look at verse number 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. We see here that Jesus was moved with compassion. Let's get a broad look at the events that led up to Jesus and this strong emotion of compassion that Jesus had. As he was moved with compassion, we first see his tireless labor. His tireless labor. If you're in Matthew 9, I invite you to just go to the very beginning of the, uh, of the chapter there. And, and this whole chapter, we believe, takes up one full day of Jesus' ministry. And as we go through this, I want you to imagine yourself in this picture. And imagine your, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know the people that you're going to come across that day. You know the people you're going to have to minister to. And imagine that you have this long task list of things and you know that when you, when you wake up, you're going to have to face this head on. And you're going to have to work your way through each of these points and you're going to have to work tirelessly labor, uh, to labor for the ministry. And, and, uh, and so this morning as we look at verse number one, we see here that, uh, he entered into a ship and passed over and came unto his own City. Verse number 1 tells that Jesus arrived in his own city, which we know to be Capernaum, and immediately he gets to work. Immediately he gets to work. Any of you ever have a day where, you know, it's just a little out of the ordinary, 
Right? We're creatures of habit, and a lot of us like to have the same schedule. We, we wake up, and uh, we get our coffee, and we get our uh, maybe donut or our breakfast or whatever, and we sit down, and maybe some of us like to read the morning paper or scroll through social media and see what's going on, watch the news. And then uh, time goes by, and we get ready, and uh, we get in the car, and we go to work, and we are at work uh, maybe 9 to 5, 8 to 4, somewhere around there, and you work, and you just kind of do the same thing over and over and over again, but then perhaps you have a day that you anticipate is going to be a little bit harder than all the other days. Anybody ever have a day like that? Where you just know when you pillow your head that night, when I wake up, it's going to be difficult. When I wake up, I have so much to do, uh, I'm just going to immediately have to hit the ground running. Uh, uh, Saturdays around here are, are very busy days, and uh, usually uh, Saturday and Sunday both are, are very busy around here, naturally, uh, being a church, right? And uh, Saturdays, uh, we prepare for outreach, and we get ready, and uh, we, we assemble here, and we go, and, and uh, there are mornings when uh, I just know that I have so much to prepare for, and so much to get ready uh, for our outreach, or for our Sunday morning services, and sometimes I'll wake up, and I, I don't even eat breakfast, and I'm just ready to go. I'm getting my clothes on and I'm just ready to run out the door. And I pause and I, I look at my family and, and, uh, and they're standing there. I got little Danielle. She's got her little fork and she's waiting for, for her little eggs. She loves scrambled eggs. And, uh, and I have to realize that I can't just rush out the door. I can't be last minute Larry. Uh, I gotta have some time where I pause and, and do things. But maybe you had a day where you just know immediately you have to get to work. And that was Jesus' day. Jesus woke up and he realized immediately it's it's time to work. It's time to get uh, to ministry. It's a, a time to minister to some folks. And in verse number two, we see that there is a man sick with a palsy that comes up to him immediately after he gets in the boat and he gets to his own city here. We see in verse number two, and behold, they brought to him a man sick with palsy lying in a bed and Jesus seeing their faith saith unto uh, the sick and the palsy uh, of the palsy son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. I want you to jump down with me in verse number 6 and 7. We find that the Bible says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then said he to the sick uh, of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. We see the first individual that comes across Jesus' path is this man sick with a palsy. And he uh, not only declares that he is the Son of God, that he has the power to forgive sins of this man, but that he has the power to raise him up and to get him back on uh, 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 to normal uh, his normal working conditions. But not only does it just end, uh, not only does it just start there, but then we find that he is uh, moving about, and this woman with the issue of blood comes to him. And verse number twenty. Uh, of that same chapter, and behold, a woman which was uh, diseased with the issue of blood twelve years came uh, be uh, behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus, uh, but Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good cheer, uh, be of good comfort rather, thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole from that hour. 
you read other parallel passages of Scripture about this uh, situation here, we find that Jesus was pressed about with a great multitude. He, as He was moving, He was, he was uh, uh, almost crushed. He was almost pushed. And His disciples had to kind of move the people away as Jesus is going. There are people that have needs. There's people that have wants and cares and burdens and all different kinds of things. And they just trust that if, if they can just get and see Jesus and just get to Him, then He is going to solve their problems. And, and all of a sudden, He realizes that the virtue has left Him. He realizes that somebody has touched him and he makes this uh, funny statement. He, he, he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, Master, you have a great company of people around you. Okay, You're being pushed around. There's, there's so many people within this multitude. Why do you say, who touched you? But he knew that there was somebody that touched him that was, that was in need. He, there was somebody that had great faith and knew that by his power they could be healed from this ailment. And so, not only do we see that this man was sick with a palsy and, and came and Jesus healed him, but we see this woman with the issue of blood. She is healed and, and God is accomplishing this work. And then, not only there, we jump down to the next verse. In verse number 23, uh, we see Jairus' daughter is raised from, uh, the, uh, raised from the dead into life. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the uh, minstrels and the people making a noise, He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. When the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand. And the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad unto all the land. So now, not only do we know Jesus is popular, and we know Jesus has a great company of people that are around Him and are following or seeking Him, but listen, news spreads. Wow, not only is He able to heal the sick of the palsy, not only is He able to heal the woman with the issue of blood, but He has the power to raise somebody from the dead. Wow, how exciting that would be. Imagine if somebody came forth today and said, I have the cure to cancer. All you need to do is X, Y, and Z. Some of us immediately would be telling our friends, would be telling our coworkers, would be telling our own flesh and blood, hey, come, come with me. We have a cure. We have a way in which you can be made whole. How exciting that is. But imagine the fact that more people are going to be coming across Jesus' path. And we find in verse number 27 that another such man came to blind men uh, were given sight. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men following Him cried and said, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us! And when He was come into the house, the blind man came to Him and said, and Jesus said unto him, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their, si- their eyes were open. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. I just, I don't know why Jesus would say this statement, but here's my opinion. I think Jesus was getting to the end of the day, and he's a little worn out. He's already done some pretty amazing miracles. And if word gets out, up oh, more people are coming, my day is going to get a little bit uh, longer. Some of you maybe work uh, at a job where 
Uh, it's very uh, on on people. Uh, the customer, when the customer comes in, uh, some of you may work food service or something like that. I know uh, 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 my wife has shared this with me as she worked at uh, Cracker Barrel for uh, a time. Uh, you know, you, you close the doors at, what, 10 o'clock or something like that. Somebody walks in right there at 9.50, okay? You just kind of roll your eyes and you're like, okay, I wish we'd close the doors just a little bit earlier because now we got to wait for that person to order. We got to wait for them to eat their food, and then we have to clean up their table, and we're not going to get out of here till really late. And I imagine maybe this was uh, kind of Jesus's uh, uh, thought: is there's already so many people, there's only so many people I can touch, and while I have compassion on them, and while I want to heal them, while I want to help them, there's only so much physical uh, 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 capacity that Jesus had. We're reminded that not only is Jesus, of course, 100% God, but He took on flesh, right? The same flesh that you and I have is the same flesh Jesus had. You read throughout the Gospels, you find he got tired. He had times where he had to get away into a desert place. He had times where uh, he was uh, uh, just wrestling. And and we find that uh, even in the beginning of the book of Matthew, we find that he fasted uh, 40 days and was tempted uh, of the devil and and so he had similar cares and difficulties. And while we may look at this and we may say, hey, he's Jesus. Why would he stop people from coming to him? Why would he say, hey, don't share any more news. Don't, don't publish this abroad. We have to put ourselves in, in that same fatigue and in that same mindset. This is just one day in the life of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. We find that those people ended up did going abroad. They, they went abroad and they went out and, uh, and they told and, and, and declared what Jesus had done. Verse number 32, they went out, behold, they brought to him dumb men possessed with the, uh, a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. Wow. What a spectacle, what a, what a sight. Imagine just being a spectator, just standing next to Jesus at this period of time. You have just witnessed a, a man who is sick with the palsy. He's healed. You had somebody uh, who has had an issue of blood for 12 years. She's healed. You had somebody who was dead, and they were already preparing her for uh, her burial. And, and Jesus says, nope, she's just sleeping. Uh, I'm going to raise her up from the dead. Wow, uh, you have two blind men uh, that come in, and Jesus touches them, and boom, all of a sudden they can see things they've never seen before. The beauty of nature. You see that now then there's this dumb man that's possessed with the devil is cast out. I don't know this for certain, but perhaps this man was going around for a while and he was kind of a thorn in some people's side. He was just crazy. He was, uh, he was uh, a lunatic. He was causing problems in the city. And, and they said, oh, if Jesus can do all these things, surely he can help this guy. Let's bring him in here. Let's get him in here and let's see what Jesus can do with him. From the palsy man, the woman with the issue of blood, the dead maid raised to life. Two uh, blind men uh, can now see, and the demon is possessed out of a man. Jesus had quite a busy day. He worked tirelessly to touch each person that came to him. Which leads us to this next point. Not only did uh, he, tire, he, he labor tirelessly, but next we see his tender love. His tender love. Everywhere Jesus went, he was wholly consumed with his Father's kingdom. The love of the Father drove him to touch any 
and every life that came to his path. How do you know this, Pastor? Look at verse number 35. And Jesus went all about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. So not only is he healing, but he's, he's getting up in front of people and he's uh, teaching them. He's, in some instances, debating them, trying to help them to see what the Scripture has to say and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness. Look at that. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus didn't roll his eyes and say, oh, here's another one. He looked at them and said, I love them. And if they will but come to me, I will heal them. If they will but have the faith to know that I have the power over death, the power over sin, the power over disease and sickness, if they will but come to me, I will heal them. Jesus did not come to this earth to make money, have nice things, be comfortable, or raise an earthly family. Rather, His whole life's purpose was to show the love of the Father to a broken world. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, last week we uh, had heard that, uh, that uh, uh, people were coming and they just wanted their, uh, their bellies full. They just wanted to have the physical things met. Jesus understood that there is a deeper issue within all mankind and that is the fact that He is dead in their trespass and sin and I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. John chapter 3, verse number 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Your sin condemns you. But Jesus came to lift the condemnation and forgive you. We love Him because why? He first loved us. He shows the greatest example of love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus came and lived uh, uh, tirelessly, uh, working and laboring, but He showed uh, uh, the greatest love possible by dying on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And anybody, anybody that comes to Him with that same faith and says, I need to be healed of my sin. I need my sins to be forgiven. He will love them and heal them of their sin. If they will but call on Him, not only do we see His uh, tireless labor and His tender love, but let us see, we see His troubled loneliness. His troubled loneliness. Imagine how tired the flesh, flesh of Jesus must have been after having labored all day to heal. We know that when the woman with the issue of blood touched His garment, that virtue left her. Jesus was physically exhausted. That leads us to verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus had given his entire ministry to heal hundreds and possibly thousands of people and yet there were a great many more that he had not gotten to. Jesus robed in flesh was limited in how many people He could get to and that caused Him to be moved with a great compassion. 
All throughout our church uh, this morning, there are those of you who God's love has radically changed your life. Uh, with permission of the following, I'd like to uh, highlight just a handful of these names. Uh, we have... Uh, Nick Grogan, uh, here, and he, uh, he's been attending faithfully, uh, and one of our services, or one of our Saturday morning, uh, uh, outreach times, Nick called out, uh, to God to show himself and lead him to truth. Nick was lost and lonely just, uh, a little while later. Two of our church, uh, laborers knocked on his door, and a short while later, Nick received Christ as his Savior. I look over to my right and I think of uh, Edgar Avila. Edgar grew up in a very dysfunctional family. He began uh, to drink when he was uh, but a, a, young, uh, a young man. And after many decades of alcoholism and, and darkness, Hector was invited to our church uh, while at a birthday party. His first time at church was Easter Sunday 2021. About six months later, Hector walked the aisle, and I remember standing down here with tears in his eyes. He came and grabbed Pastor Lejeune's hand at the end of the morning service and gave his heart to Jesus. He's not had a sip of alcohol since he got saved. Beverly Cambrus, back in 2020, two of our church laborers on a Saturday morning knocked on her door and invited her to church. Beverly did come to church. A couple months later, one of our church laborers sat uh, with her and uh, at her dining room table and led her through the gospel, and Beverly got saved. Since then, her husband has passed away, but Beverly now has a church family who looks after her and loves her. Beverly's eternal destination has been changed. She is on her way to heaven. I think of two folks. Uh, lastly, Edwin and Latoya uh, Todd. Edwin uh, was, uh, 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 or Latoya rather, was uh, wandering through life, lost and broken. And many of you were here on Easter, and she gave her testimony uh, on the video. Her marriage uh, to Edwin was just uh, just holding on by threads. And one day, a, a co-worker of hers invited uh, her to come to Friend Day. Edwin and Latoya came to church. Edwin gave his heart to Jesus. First in pastor's office, Latoya would get saved about a month later uh, while speaking with uh, Mrs. Lejeune. Their marriage has been renewed and they have found peace and purpose to life. There are many others as I survey the crowd today that, uh, that, that could share their testimonies. And, and somewhere along life's path, one of God's laborers shared with you the good news of salvation. As a result, your eternal destiny has been completely changed we rejoice in that this morning and the many that have done that and if you are not one that has had your eternal destiny changed you don't know that you're on your way to heaven in a few moments we will invite you uh, to make that decision and understand what the bible clearly has to say on how you too can have your life changed by the power of god the reality is that for every one person in church that uh, has been helped and given eternal hope, there are dozens of others who need to trust Jesus. Sometimes we get our blinders up and we can only look at what's going on in the church here and we look around and we just rejoice with one another over our salvation. We sing great songs and, and hymns that point us to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the help that He offers us and our home ultimately in heaven as we sang this morning. But as we leave these doors, we just look at people around us just as people. 
What we need to be doing is looking at them the way that Jesus did. And understand that we are but one light. One light in a dark world. John chapter 4, verse number 34 and 35 says this, Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are right already, white already to harvest. The greater Stratford area is filled with people who are spiritually blind, deaf, mute, and lame. They need the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to set them free. Oh, may we be moved with compassion like Jesus had. When we dismiss here in a few moments, may, may we leave this building and may we drive our cars and for every one car that passes us, for every jogger or biker on the side of the street, for every young child that's playing in the yard, for every person we run into at the grocery store or out at the gas station, may we have a heart of compassion that says that person needs to hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have the compassion Jesus felt? But secondly, I want us to see the criticism Jesus endured. The criticism Jesus endured. No doubt if you do anything for the Lord, you're going to face criticism. If you are going to speak the truth, not everyone is going to like it. Just about any time anyone tries to do something with a fervency for the Lord, they get criticized in the process. The term Christian, while today in many facets may be a positive term, its origin comes from the church in Antioch when they were living for the Lord and perhaps people were scoffing at them. Ha! You're like, you're like Christ. You're a Christian. Who wants to be like that? Who wants to be an oddball? Why don't you just go with the culture? Why don't you just go with, with what uh, our world is teaching? Uh, don't worry about truth. Uh, just let it go. Don't worry about being a witness. Don't worry about the people that are around you. Focus on yourself. But God calls us to be lights. God calls us to be different in our society. You would think that in all of the good that Jesus was doing, that there would be no complainers or dissenters. But... This was not the case, as we know. Jesus had the reliable Pharisees and scribes to antagonize Him as He did the work of His Father. We see the criticism that He, uh, that he endured, but uh, they, they hated His authority specifically. If you're in Matthew 9, I invite you to look at the first six verses with me because we'll find while we've looked at the positives and we've seen the miracles that He's doing, we've jumped over a couple of verses uh, just to, to really focus specifically on the miracles. But now we're going to look at some of the surrounding elements behind His miracles. What were the people saying? What were the people thinking? What were some of the specific statements that were said? In verse number 1, And He entered into a, a ship and passed over and came into His own city. And uh, behold, they brought to Him a man sick of palsy lying in a bed. And Jesus, uh, seeing his face, said uh, unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves. Again, we know Jesus has the power to know what's going on in people's minds. They maybe weren't verbally saying it, but they were saying it nonetheless in their hearts. And they, they say, this man blasphemeth. 
And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your heart? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then said he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into your house. Jesus was the Messiah promised from the Old Testament. But their own religious blinders kept them from seeing it. You and I are going forth and, and we proclaim, uh, 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 you and I are to go forth and proclaim this eternal uh, changing truth with the same power and authority of our Savior. I was speaking with our teenagers in the last hour and we're going through uh, the New Testament together and we landed in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. All power is given unto me and heaven and earth. Go ye uh, into uh, the Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. Matthew chapter 28 verse number 18 and 20 uh, through 20 says this, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. We do not labor through our own power or our own authority and ability, but rather by the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, who has given us the power that is on high to declare and proclaim this life-changing truth. They hated Jesus because... They hated God. They rejected Jesus because He was God. Not everyone will love your labor. Some will scoff and scorn. But the work is too great to be dissented by the dissenters. Not only do we see here that they hated His authority, but they hated His authenticity. Authenticity. He was the real deal. He didn't put on a face and a mask and, and uh, uh, gallivant his way through and look all polished and things. And then when he's with other people, he was a different person. He was the same with everybody. He had compassion on everybody. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. Look with me here. The Bible says, And Jesus passed from thence, forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. He was a, a tax collector. And uh, he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? How dare you associate with them? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and no sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is where we get to the heart of the matter. While maybe perhaps our mind could be distracted in the fact that Jesus did many miracles, but Jesus is about to show you right here that He is drawing men to Himself so that He can sit with them, so He can be real, so that He can show love to both the sinner and the righteous one to help them to see that everybody needs the Gospel. Everybody needs to have their sins forgiven. Notice that Jesus did not go 
hang out with sinners. Rather, the publicans and sinners made their way into the presence of Jesus. They came to Him. He was light. They were in darkness. They came to Him to be healed. They came to Him because they were real. This sin-sick people wanted nothing to do with the phony Pharisees, but they were drawn to the great physician. This last Wednesday, we were, uh, we were in discipleship, and I was uh, working with a couple, and, and we were going through uh, uh, different doctrines and things, and, and uh, we talked about how Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. And I thought about this for a moment, and I, under, I, I, I just thought how light has, uh, affects people in two different ways. First, light helps to guide. And I'm thankful that we have lights in the auditorium today. They help me to see what's going on here uh, on the paper. I'm able to read uh, somewhat clearly. I'm able to look around and see your faces. I'm able to, uh, we, we, we are able to drive safely at night by having headlights on our car. They help to provide direction. We have stoplights and, and go lights. And sometimes people just go through the stoplights, right? Uh, but nonetheless, they're there to warn. They're there to help. They're there to direct. And that's how Jesus is. Jesus is the director. Jesus is the one who shows what is right. He's the one that shows what is wrong. He's the one that ultimately uh, helps us and draws us. But there are others that while light helps to direct, sometimes light can be hurtful to us. Have you ever maybe been uh, in a room that is just absolutely completely dark? Maybe you're sleeping or something like that, and maybe you're just kind of sitting there and your eyes have adjusted to the darkness, and then all of a sudden somebody turns on a bright light. Ah! Ah, my eyes! Right? We're a little dramatic about it, but listen, Jesus is the light, and your heart will dictate whether you choose for that light to be a director of your life or a destructor of your life. You might say, no, I don't want the light. I don't want to see what's going on. I don't want to know what, that my deeds are evil. I, I don't want to know what's right or what's wrong. Ah, ah, and that was the Pharisees. They thought their eyes had adjusted to, to a new level of holiness. We are better than they. But Jesus, nonetheless, He's separating these folks from those that need, those that are being drawn appropriately to His light, and those that are just religious Pharisees. Sometimes a pastor or a preacher will stand up before you and will say, Thus saith the Lord, and, 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 and that light pierces our heart. We say, No, I don't want to change that. He must be wrong. He must be, he must be uh, interpreting that passage of Scripture wrong. And that's, that's our knee-jerk reaction. That's our flesh getting involved. Our flesh doesn't want to change. Our flesh doesn't want to be told that we are wrong. And, and so we need to have a heart that is open, a heart that when light uh, comes into our pathway, that we receive it and we understand its direction and its help in our life. They hated His authenticity. He was a pure light uh, that uh, that uh, was with um, uh, the people, uh, both the sinners and the publicans, but they also they hated his ability, his ability. Matthew chapter nine, verse number thirty-two. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil, and when the devil was cast out, a dumb man, the dumb man spake, and uh, and the multitudes marvelled, saying, "It was never so seen in Israel." But the Pharisees said. 
He casteth out the devil through the prince of the devil. Jesus would rebuttal on other passages and say to them, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. This was erroneous and they knew it. Uh, they, uh, they hated Jesus because they could not heal or forgive sins like He could. Only the true Son of the living God could perform these things. Remember, Christian, one day you will not give an account to the critics of your life. But rather, you will give account to Christ who saved your life and has called you to do His work. So number one, we see the compassion that Jesus felt. We see the criticism that Jesus endured. But finally, we see the command Jesus gave. The command Jesus gave. Look with me at Matthew 9, verse number 37. Then said He unto His disciples, The harvest... Truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. He gives a command here. And we first see that in His command we see we pray, uh, when, uh, when we pray, we prioritize. To those of you who are here, uh, uh, that are here that pray regularly, uh, have you ever done a health check on your prayers? Oftentimes our prayers are self-centered. Just think about it. Sometimes I pause and I realize, uh, I say something along the lines of, I pray for my, or I pray that you will help me, or I pray that I, We become very self-centered. Bless me. Bless my family. Bless my church. Help my friends. Are you seeing a pattern here? When we pray for God to send forth labors, we are prioritizing something far bigger than any one of us. We're praying that God will work to send forth labors into His harvest. I believe that one of the elements that led to Jesus' fatigue in this passage of Scripture is the fact that He was one of the only ones. He was the only one that was able to heal. He was the only one that was able to, to preach. He was the only, uh, the only one able uh, to, to accomplish this work. And if He had more, if there were more folks that would be willing to go out, if there were more folks that could uh, preach, if there were more folks that were confident in their ability uh, of, uh, the, through the power of God to help them to go out, listen, the work becomes much uh, less laborsome for one person. We have a number of folks that come here in our services on, uh, on Sundays. And we, one of the things that we prioritize is that we go and we follow up with our visitors. And sometimes we have just a handful of visitors. Sometimes we have a great multitude of visitors that come in. We rejoice in that. We believe God has given those people to us to steward and to follow up and help them to see uh, that they uh, need Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior, if they have not seen that already. 
And on top of that, we have uh, a number of maps that need knocked so that people uh, in their homes can know Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. We have canvassing uh, maps where we leave door hangers at doors. We have uh, postcards, and every week we give out uh, around 500 or so uh, postcards in the mail, and, and we uh, are, are going to be uh, venturing into uh, every door direct mails that gets even more brochures out to more people uh, for uh, uh, significantly less cost, we think of there are folks within our membership and within our faithful attender list that have been absent for whatever reason. Some are sick, some have some heavy burdens, some are older are not able to get out to church. Uh, we look out and, and there are uh, other things that encompass our every week outreach. And sometimes we come in on Saturdays and we say there is so much work to do. I pray, I hope that we will have labors to accomplish this mighty work. But if but a handful of us show up, the work still needs to be done. The Gospel still needs to go forth. We still all need to prioritize the fact that maybe if you're not able to, at least God says, hey, pray. Prioritize prayer. Prioritize asking the Lord to send somebody. If you're not able to, pray that somebody else can. Whether or not you or I understand it. God works through the meeting of prayer. Labors in the harvest may not be something you regularly think about. If you will be, uh, if you will by force of habit choose to pray uh, on it daily, then it will become a priority. Think less of the needs of yourself as we began the message today and begin to think of the burden and needs of the 7.8 billion people that are in the world today. Prioritize prayer. But he also says, when we pray, we provoke. Look at verse number 38. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Over the last two decades, attendance at uh, at, at, at colleges that train young people for Christian ministry have been on the decline. I mentioned to our young people today in our teen class, just burdened for the fact that we have so many people that still need to know Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. I know firsthand, I traveled with a, a music group when I was a senior in college and, and even came to this church and, 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 and stood before you. And uh, One of the reasons why I remember this church specifically is because there was a great crowd of people and there was a great spirit within this church, but I can't say that about every church that I went to. We traveled all the way from California and, and uh, stopped along the way at Colorado and, and, uh, and Iowa and, and Indiana and Pennsylvania and then kind of parked ourselves over in this region of the Northeast. And by and large, most churches just had but a dozen people in them. Much of them older. And I would venture to say that many of the people that we sang to some of those churches don't exist today. Why is that? 
Because, my friend, we need, we need uh, young people to, to carry the torch of the older and to say, hey, I'm going to take the burden of the lost. I'm going to be the one to go. I'm going to be a laborer in the harvest. God is calling me. God is provoking my heart so that I can carry the torch of the Gospel to another society, to another, uh, another uh, generation of people who today God is pricking your heart for the need of the Gospel to be shared. We need young people to take it. We need more adults to take it. We need more people that are willing to say, I'm going to invest in an eternal difference. Don't get me wrong today. We we need good godly lawyers. We need good godly mechanics. We need good godly people in the workforce today. But listen, my friend, all of those, all of those are 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 are, are, are uh, going to fall apart if we don't have more people that that are willing to take the Bible and sit down and, and be with them and, and preach to them. And and help our society know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ came and died for the sins of all mankind, who will be a one today that will, by the, the power of God and by God speaking to them alone, will surrender and say, God, I, I know You're calling me. God, I know You want me to go. I know You want me to start a church. I know You want me to be a missionary. I know You want me to be a Christian school teacher. I know I need to train. I know I need to get ready for this. But I know for sure that You have called me to accomplish this work. That's what we pray for. We pray for more people. And I hope that you will uh, 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 heed the call today to pray that God will provoke more hearts so that more people can be witnesses, so that we can have more pastors in the Northeast. We don't have to be one of the only representatives up here. We don't have to be uh, but a handful of good, solid, Bible-believing Baptist churches in the area. We can have more people that spread the light of the Gospel in the Northeast. Not only when we pray do we provoke the hand of God, but we see when we pray we participate. Participate. One thing is for certain, you can pray about this harvest. You can't pray for this harvest too long until you choose to take up the cause and do something about it. The Bible says that my eye affecteth my heart. I hear a lot of Bibles Closing, and I know we're coming to the end of the message, and we filled out the outline. But I hope right now, while you may be doing that, I pray that God will help you to see that the gospel message, the proclaiming of the gospel, is not a spectator sport. We do not stand on the sidelines and wait for somebody else to perform the work. We must understand that God is calling us to go. God is calling us to get involved. And, and we can only pray but so long until we, need, we say to ourselves, I need to be the answer to my own prayers. I need to be the one that God is calling who this morning will say, I'm ready to be a participant. I'm ready to be a man, a woman of God that stands in the way and helps to warn people. 
I was speaking with our teenagers yesterday about uh, witnessing, and we're going through a curriculum on Saturdays to just talk about how to share the faith with others and gradually get them in a pattern of being more confident in their ability to share the gospel with people. And I, 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 I kind of made this, uh, uh, this remark, but I think it really hit home. We live in a society today where uh, something happens, right? Something drastic happens in the middle of, of uh, a square or, or a road or something like that, even in schools. You and I, we've all seen it, right? Uh, two people just all of a sudden start fighting. Uh, not too far from our house one day, we were uh, traveling uh, down the street, and, and just I looked down one of the, the streets real, real fast, and I saw a great company of, of, of teenagers. And in the middle of this great company was just two guys that had their fists up, and they're swinging. And the people around... Not, not all of them. In fact, none of them except for the two that were in there. Now, one of them wanted to get involved. You know what they wanted to do? Let me get this on social media. This is going to trend. Let's watch this play out. And I'll watch it over and over and over and over again. Somebody else will help out. Somebody else will get involved. And as I was driving, sure enough, police officer pulled in right as we were driving by and, and helped to break up the situation. But listen, we, li- we live in a society of Christians say, I'll just watch how this whole thing plays out. And one day, you and I are going to be forced to stand on the sidelines and watch it play out. As our family members walk by the judgment seat of Christ. Walk by the great white throne judgment. God says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And our lips will be silenced. Our hope will be lost. Our ability to do anything will be muted. Will you take action today? Will you answer the call today? To be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that more people may come to know Him. And that more people won't be destined to that eternal place called hell. May we have more laborers that go and proclaim the truth of the Gospel. Let us be participants. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. To participate in putting forth fruit in reaching the lost with the Gospel. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth uh, and bringeth forth and some an hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. Listen, my friend, you and I may not be hundredfold fruit tree. We may not see hundreds of people come to know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, because of our witness. But will you pray that God will use you to reach someone? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. thought of an illustration just yesterday. and I'll close with this illustration and we'll be done. There was a young boy who walked up on a beach one day and he saw a storm had just come through and this storm had washed up all these different clams. Now that the, 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 the storm had gone away, all of a sudden the, the hot sun was beating on this beach. And the boy began to walk and he began to see that these clams were getting hot and soon they were going to die if he did not take action. 
But he looks down the beach and he sees uh, uh, just miles and miles of these clams littered up on the beach. And, and with, uh, with uh, 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 vigor, he grabs one and he throws it in the, in the ocean. And he grabs another one and he throws it in the ocean. He grabs another one and he throws it in the ocean. And an older gentleman came out of his house and walks uh, onto the beach and sees this boy frantically running after these clams and throwing them tirelessly over into the water. He goes up to the boy and says, Boy, what are you doing? The boy says, I'm trying to, to save these clams. Please help me. Please help me. Uh, these clams, if they sit here too long, they're going to die. They're going to die. We need to save them. We need to save them. We need to save them. And the man kind of sees the boy and chuckles and looks down the miles of beach that have these littered clams. And he says, Boy, you'll be here forever. You're putting out so much energy for these clams. You're working tirelessly so that these clams can be saved. But boy, what are you among so many? There's no way you can make a difference. The boy thought about that statement and kind of thought about it for a moment and kind of grinned and grabbed another clam and he threw it in the water and he said, I made a difference with that one. And he grabbed another clam and he threw it in the water and he said, I made a difference with that one. And he grabbed another and he threw it in the ocean. He said, I made a difference with that one. And my friend, our witness needs to have that same mentality. We may not save everybody. We only have so much ability in and of ourselves. But hey, I'm going to make a difference with one. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to pray that God moves more people to be participants so that we all can see a great harvest seal come about before the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. Sin is real. Brokenness is real. Salvation awaits those who believe. Jesus is calling upon you to save, is calling upon you to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Will you pray? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand to our feet. Piano's going to play in just a moment, but let me ask you just a couple questions. Let me ask you just a couple questions this morning. We've talked a lot about eternity. We mentioned how everybody one day is going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. I want to open the invitation this morning by asking this question. Is there somebody within the sound of my voice today that does not know that they are on their way to heaven? You do not know if you were to die today, God forbid, that you would spend eternity in heaven. If you would be honest with me, you say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I'm just being real honest with you. Would you mind slipping your hand up? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But maybe there's somebody within the sound of my voice. I do not know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. Please pray for me, Pastor. Please pray for me. Thank you for your honesty. I see hands. I see hands. Thank you. 
We want to help you in just a moment when the piano plays. I'm going to invite you to come down. If you uh, are a young lady, we'll, uh, we'll have somebody, a lady, sit down with you and help you to understand how you can know that you're going to heaven when, I, when you die. If you're a, a man, if, you, uh, if you're a young man and you need uh, to know that Jesus Christ died for you, and you need to know how you can go to heaven when you die, we'll have uh, a man sit down with you and help you with these things. Don't need to be embarrassed. Don't need to be shy. Uh, nobody's going to look down on you. It's going to be the greatest decision that you could possibly make in your life. And we're going to open that up here in just a moment so you can know that you're spending eternity in heaven. Let me ask you this other question. If uh, to the Christian this morning, to the people that know Jesus Christ, the personal Lord and Savior, how many of you would say, Pastor, the Spirit of God worked in my heart this morning. Pray for me that I'll be a more proactive prayer warrior for laborers. Who with me? I'll, I'm going to pray for more laborers. I'm going to pray that, that God sends forth more laborers. Thank you for your honesty this morning.